Welcome to Gateway Church Cymru, a church where anyone can be transformed by the story of Jesus. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. It's always a great joy to be here. It's like coming home to family. And we just greet you in the name of Jesus. And indeed, thank you, all those who've been praying for Sharon. Um, the surgery to her right eye is rather complicated, took a lot longer than they usually do, but the uh, impressions we're getting is it's been really good, very successful, and we believe that's an answer to prayer. So just pray for a miracle for the left eye, and then we'll be seeing really good. <laughs> Praise the Lord. If you have a Bible this morning, turn to Acts chapter 21. Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, or better entitled, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 21, and verse 7. Acts 21, verse 7. When we'd finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Potelemus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea, and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, who had come to us. He, when he'd come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when we would not, he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. In verse 8, it says, On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist. This morning, I want to start a three-part series today and uh, this morning, this evening, and next time we come in December, a three-part series on Philip, the evangelist. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're all familiar with those words that tell us that in verse 11 onwards that the ascended Jesus has given gifts to his church. He's given apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers. And they're given for the equipping of the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry. So the saints can go out and, and ex share Jesus as they should. <coughs> and every one of us is to have a part in that. It talk, goes on to talk about every part doing its share in that and in that list are evangelists i don't know what your thoughts of evangelists are maybe you think evangelists and you think of if you're the older generation someone like billy graham and mass crusades or perhaps slightly more younger Rainer bonke or even more younger daniel clendy or someone you know preaching away and massive crowds of people ah oh, there's an evangelist but the fact is in ephesians 4 is saying that Yes, there are those who use that way, but they're there primarily to actually equip us in this job of 
evangelizing, of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And so in this series, I want us to examine what it, what it means to be an evangelist, because that affects all of us. How can we be evangelists? And so we're going to look at Philip, the evangelist. He's the first one that's mentioned by this name. We have the Apostle Paul and we have prophets mentioned, but this is the first time in Scripture someone's actually called an evangelist. <coughs> Philip, the evangelist. So to understand him, let's take a little journey looking at his life. We start in the Gospel of John in chapter 1 <coughs> and verse 43. John 1 and verse 43. And it says there, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. So here's the first mention. And there's some very significant words in this first mention. Jesus says to Philip, the same as he said to Peter and John, Andrew and James and John, he says, come, follow me. You know, when I was here last time, <coughs> a month ago, on the Sunday evening, we looked at those words, come, follow me. Why did those fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, John, why did they just drop their nets and follow a relative stranger? Why? <coughs> Was Jesus that persuasive? Was it because he caught lots of fish? And we looked at that, we examined it, and, and saw that Every young Jewish boy, when they're growing up, had one aspiration, one desire. Their parents had the same desire. It was this, that they should hear the words of a rabbi saying, come, follow me. The process at that time of Jewish education was girls got a basic education, but they were just released quite soon to just work in the homes. Boys were trained in the, the law and they would memorize the first five books of the Bible, what we call the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And uh, then when they reached the age of 12, we see it with Jesus, they would then pass their first sort of, it's like their, their um, what do we used to have at that age? 11 plus, except they were 12. And, and they would have that kind of exam and if they passed that exam, they would, they would be called, they would be their bar mitzvah, they would be called sons of the law. And, they would go, and then they would undergo some various more uh, testings, exams. And if they weren't up to it, they'd say, look, you now go and find a trade. You now go and get a job. But the ones who passed the next stage they would go on and they'd go through further training in the law and the prophets, then further exams, and, and one more and more would be dropped off until there would just be one or two left. And the one or two, the cream of the cream, they would 
than hear those words from the rabbi. Now, come, follow me. So the religious system, you know, for a lot of boys, it didn't make it. When you didn't make it, you were, the rabbis just called you, you're not up to it, you're, you're ignorant and unlearned. You get that expression in the Acts of Apostles regarding Peter, Andrew, James, and John later on. But they didn't make it. They just had to go and back to, with all the disappointment and their family's disappointment, go back home and just get a job. So along comes this new rabbi. Along comes this one who teaches with such authority and power, and his name is Jesus. And these young men hear words they thought they'd never hear in their whole life. Come, follow me. And they thought, wow, the rabbi is inviting us, us, we're considered unworthy. We're considered thick, ignorant, unlearned. He's calling us to follow him. To follow him. And with joy, they left their nets, in the case of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and they just embraced this opportunity to follow Jesus, to walk in his footsteps. People would say when someone followed a rabbi, may the dust of the rabbi be upon you. And, and these, these just followed it literally in the dust of Jesus, wanting to follow his example, learn of his love, learn of his power, learn of his prayer life, learn of his humility, learn of his servanthood, and so on and so on. They wanted to follow in the dust of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what happens to Philip here. The Lord comes to Philip individually and says, Philip, come, follow me. Wow. We may not fully appreciate it, but for Philip, this is, wow, what he always dreamed of, what he always hoped for, but religion had, had blocked him off. He, he wasn't up to it. He said, you're unworthy. You, you don't meet the standard. But now Jesus was calling him. Jesus was calling him. I thought, wow, this is undeserved, this is unmerited. This is grace. And he follows Jesus, becomes one of his disciples. And I might say, what has that got to do with evangelism? Well, this is my first point. If you want to learn about what it is to be an evangelist, we must have a, an experience of grace. You can't share about the grace of God you can't share about the love of God unless you yourself have, him, have experienced it, been overwhelmed by it. You know, these guys are overwhelmed by the grace of our Lord Jesus. They're overwhelmed when he said, come follow me. They forsook their nets. They were saying, in effect, oh, in view of your words, and wow, we're prepared to give our all to following you. Philip likewise. And I would say that the first thing, if we're going to be effective evangelists, we must be overwhelmed by the grace of God. You know, we, maybe for us as Christians, we can get into the habit, we can even do communion week by week and just do it out of habit and perhaps not always fully appreciate what it cost our Lord Jesus Christ. The price that he paid for us to save us from a lost eternity in hell. Oh, how we need to be overwhelmed by his love. How we need to come, perhaps back to the cross, spend some time meditating upon the cross, 
and really thinking, Lord, you did this for me. And not leave that place of prayer until we're gripped by grace, gripped by his love, because then we'll be effective evangelists. The next thing I notice about Philip still in John chapter 1, you know, you can tell he's can, God's calling him to be an evangelist by what happens next. He doesn't say this about anyone else, if he does say it about Philip. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Verse 45, what's the first thing Philip does? Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom the Moses and the of, of whom found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Wow. His first desire was to go and get someone else. To bring someone else to Jesus. Wow, I, I see there the, in embryo form the, the gift of an evangelist. Someone who, who just, you know, they don't want to just keep what they've heard for themselves. They want to share it with someone else. They want to invite others to hear, to see, to experience what they have experienced in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he finds Nathaniel. He finds Nathaniel. All that we want to learn what it is to be an evangelist then oh let's recognize it begins by inviting the ones that we know to the Lord Jesus Christ you know it amazes me in, in, as I think back of 42 years of ministry I think when have I seen churches whether it's Pontland Price or Bristol or anywhere when have I seen churches grow the most and I guess it's when we've been seeing new people saved. Because new people, when they come to Jesus and they experience His love and are overwhelmed by His love, they just want to go and share with others. And very soon they're bringing their, their friends. I think in Parliament Friday, they had a guy called Bill, Bill Griffiths, who owned a laundrette. Soon all his customers were even brought to church. I think of another guy called Ron, I can't remember his surname, but Ron used to playing nightclubs and things. Well, then he got saved. And people said, Ron, you're not playing in the nightclub. He brought them to church. We saw these crowds coming in. Starting to fill up the church in Pantland Fries. Why? Because of new Christians who are just bringing others to Jesus. But it doesn't just have to be new Christians. Again, I say, if we will all get a passion for Jesus... If we'll all renew our first love, as it says of the church at Ephesus in, in, in Revelation, if we could all renew our first love and, and get a passion for Jesus, then hey, let's be infectious and share Him and, and make Him known. Let's not be ashamed of Him. Let's say, hey, guess oh, I really want to tell you something about someone who's so important to me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here we already begin to discover some important features what it is to be an evangelist. So then we turn to the next set of, there's, Philip is mentioned in the feeding of the 5,000. I'm sure there are lessons we could pick up from there. But I want us to turn now to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, we learn another little group of lessons about what it is to be an evangelist. 
Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying. Do you like that word multiply? Multiply. Not when the number of disciples, more disciples been added to church. Multiply. This tells me that this stage, by the time you get to Acts chapter 6, initially the apostles, people were taught in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread and prayers, and they came together, and they came in that type of prayer. But people were saved. People were disciples. We must never lose sight of the fact that the most important thing is not just getting people converted, that's great, but it's to get them discipled. But having got them discipled, it's also training the disciples how to make disciples. So the process is repetitive. So when you've discipled one, and then they go out and reach another one, they get discipled, and they're both then go out and disciple. Suddenly you go from two, two to four, and then four, fours are sixteen, and you're multiplying. And so big numbers like 3,000 and 5,000 and so on become insignificant because God is on the move because the disciples are multiplying. And so our arithmetic in church needs to move from, certainly needs to move from subtraction. It certainly definitely needs to move from division. Addition is fine, but it needs to get into multiplication needs to get into multiplication and there's the secret people think oh we have more flashing lights or more this or more that yeah okay we go yeah make make it look pleasant and modern yeah but hey it's about disciples making disciples praise the lord so let's just move on. So the, <laughs> the number of disciples are multiplying there arose a complaint against the hebrews by the hellenists and uh, because of their widows who are neglected in the daily distribution. It's good to know that even in revival there were some problems. Then verse 2, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, that we will, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude that chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procris, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, when they set, whom they set before the apostles, and when they prayed, they laid hands on them, then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied, there it is again, greatly in Jerusalem. And great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great signs, did great wonders and signs among the people. Well, as I look at this sequence of verses, I, I find some more important lessons in what it is to be an effective evangelist, to effectively share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing I notice about these seven people, Philip is one of them, he's a man of good reputation. Good reputation. 
You know, you can't share the good news of Jesus. I was going to say very well, but probably not at all, if you've got a bad reputation. If you're moody, bad-tempered, if you're critical, if you lie, you cheat and gossip, guess what? You're not going to be very effective in sharing the good news of Jesus. You go and talk to someone and they say, I've got enough problems of my own. They're not going to be interested because they see your life. The Bible uses expressions all the time. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. It says you're a letter read and known of all men. You're an, a, a perfume, a sweet perfume. And all these expressions, we should be attractive, in other words, to people. And so we need to be of good reputation. If we're encouraging, if we're praising, if we build people up, if we refuse to gossip, if we're helpful, if we're caring, if we're generous, if, as, Peter, as Philip obviously did, because he's one of these deacons, we're willing to serve, then hey, those are, don't we know those are great characteristics? Those are attractive characteristics? Wow. Let's have a real fresh look at our life. Lord, when people come to this tree, what kind of fruit are they eating? Are they eating bitter, rotten fruit? Are they eating sweet, tasty, delicious fruit? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Good reputation, I put to you, as we're looking and examining what it means to be an effective evangelist, I put that on the list. It's important on the list. It's not just being, oh, he's a wonderful communicator. Wow, he's so charismatic. Wow, he's got a golden tongue. He, can, he has way with words. He's a terrific salesperson. Well, those are all good things. But before all those things, good reputation. Good reputation. Then the next thing I know is here, full of faith. Wow. You've got to show people that what you believe affects the way what you, how you live. Evangelists have been going out and sharing with people a lot of things about, you know, believe this, do this, and you don't do it yourself. You call your personal faith that you live what you believe. That you believe God's Word. You act on God's Word. You believe God's promises. We act on God's promises. Then when we look at situations, as an expression of Scripture in the Gospel says, have the faith of God. Does God have faith? When God sees the impossible, He says, it's done. <laughs> so it's a bit of a play on words here, does God have faith? Because God looks at situations. Where there is nothing, he says, it shall be. The earth was without form and void, and there's darkness covering the face of the deep. It was all shapeless and a mess, and God spoke. And into nothing, and into darkness, into something that was void and shapeless, and God brings creation. So when we're full of faith, we, we see a sick person. We see they're sick. And we see them healed. So I see you healed in the name of Jesus. We see a problem, but 
they say, in Jesus' name, I see the solution. And so on. Wow, full of faith. How do you get full of faith? I thought it's all right to say, yeah, we've got to be full of faith. But if you're not telling the people how to get full of faith, then that's not very helpful, really. I thought about that, and I thought, how do I get, how does my faith increase? When am I most full of faith? I thought it's when I spend time in His presence. When I get close with God and feel His presence. Not just go through the motions of seeking God, but to enter into His presence. Wow. And you know then, wow. In His presence, you think, God, you're with me. And if you're with me, who can be against me? Oh, sickness, you've got to go. Problem, you've got to be solved. Oh, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, last Sunday evening, I was preaching in a church in, in South Wales. Someone I knew well and asked me to go and speak at a special meeting and for him. And he does this about every six weeks or so. And he asked me to go. And uh, they brought in a worship team for the event. And I knew one or two, we knew one or two people on that worship team. We weren't expecting to see them. And wow. And the worship was absolutely, they were just leading us in the presence of God. And the pastor was leading us in the presence of God. And, and, and in that meeting, wow, the presence of God came. And I thought, wow, Lord, this is so amazing, so powerful. Anything can happen tonight because your presence is so real. And that's what happens when we enter into God's presence. The only tragedy with that meeting was the congregation just sat there and just totally switched off. I thought, when I glanced around, I thought, I can't believe it. I thought, tonight, if this congregation responded to what's happening in this place, what I'm experiencing, what my, and Sharon was experiencing, and the pastor was experiencing, and what the worship team were experiencing, if, if everyone entered in, wow, tonight we could have revival. I really believe that, that last Sunday night revival could have broken out in southeast Wales. But instead, I couldn't believe it. Anyway, that's got that off my chest. But I'm just trying to get the point. In God's presence. In God's presence. In God's presence. We will enter in. Then we experience God. And as we read His Word and pray over His Word, then ah, oh, we get full of faith. Full of faith. Then the next thing it says here. So He's a good reputation. Full of faith. He is full of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice that word full. Not he had been full. Because no doubt he was there with 120 on the day of Pentecost. No doubt he was probably there in Acts 4 when they had a fresh move of God and filled again. But, Peter, but Philip was full of the Holy Spirit. He kept being filled to be full, you've got to keep being filled. We're leaky. Say to the person next to you, you're leaky. No, perhaps not. You might get the wrong idea. But we're leaky. We're leaky. We need to keep being filled. We can't rely on something that happened even a week ago, let alone 10 years ago or whatever. 
We need to be filled and refilled. Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine or excess, but be filled. And the word is continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? By praising, by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Keep praising in your heart. Praise invites the presence of God. Praise brings you to a place where you're refilled with the Holy Spirit. You know, every time... In my prayers, I often use Psalm 23 to pray through. When I get to that place that he leads me beside the still waters, and I begin to thank him, Lord, I thank you for the dew of anointing. I thank you for the refreshing water of the Holy Spirit I can drink. Almost without fail, every time I begin to feel the real anointing of God's presence when I get to praying that every day in my prayer time. I need to do that. Keep being filled. Philip was full of the Holy Spirit. And the fourth thing I learned from here, and I'm sure there are other things you could learn. We could go off about the fact he's willing to serve and all those things. But the fourth thing I learned here about Philip that made him such an effective evangelist is that he spent time with other people who are also full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, and had a passion for souls. You notice it in verse 5, and the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip and the others. And verse 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the peoples. When you spend time with someone who's passionate about souls, guess what? That passion rubs off on you. So if you want to become an effective evangelist, find someone who's passionate about it, who's, who's full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, of good reputation, someone who just has got a proven track record, and hey, get around them and with them and let the passion rub off. And wow, before you know it, you'll be wanting to, to share Jesus too. I'm sure many of you found that if you not notice when you go to some conference or whatever and you're with Christians who are full of the Spirit and you're in that spiritual atmosphere for a... Perhaps they used to be for a week, now they just have two or three days. But you just get in that atmosphere, and wow, when you're coming away, your, your mind, your whole thinking is affected by that. We need to learn to spend time, find people, spend time praying with people about souls, souls, souls. Be full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. Iron sharpens iron. Get along those side, those people. Hallelujah. I'm sure that Stephen was a powerful inspiration to Philip. So, moving on, the third mention of Philip. Acts chapter 8. We've learned something about the man in Acts chapter 6 very quickly, and we'll come back to it later. But let's just briefly share with you something of his method and his message. His method and his message. So we read from Acts 8, verse 4. Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere. There's been persecution break out. And Philip, we learn later, had a young family. He thought, where can I go? It's safe. Hey, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. If I go to Samaria, I should be safe there. So therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. 
And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying out, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and men who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there's great joy in that city. Verse 12, when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Wow. What was Philip's method of, of getting alongside, of, of sharing with people? Well, it says in verse 6 and 7 what it was. It was miracles, signs, and wonders. I don't know what happened. I, I, I have, to, you have to use a little bit of imagination here. But I guess he arrives in this place in Sychar, in Samaria. And if it's one of those Middle Eastern places where everyone hangs around midday and, it, you know, in, in a courtyard area and they're just all sat around. And he sees someone there who's begging, who's perhaps crippled, who's paralyzed. He says the paralyzed were healed. And maybe he goes up to him, begins to share with him a bit and says, say it's a man, could be a woman, but say to man, Sir, can I pray for you? person here, they're quite open to God, and so he said, yes, in fact, very few people I find refuse prayer, and so he prays for him, and boy, a miracle happens. Suddenly this paralyzed man's jumping up and down and walking, and hey, hey, wow, hey, that place, you know, when communities like some of these Welsh communities where everybody knows everybody, you can imagine the effect that has. Suddenly everybody wants to know. Everybody wants to be in on this. What's going on? What's happened? How did this man get healed? You know, miracles are not an end in themselves. They're a sign. They're a sign that points to Jesus. And so Philip then is able to just follow it up and we'll come to any moment with his preaching. But miracles, signs, wonders. People are bound by evil spirits being set free. Wow. I believe that you might say, oh, this is going up a notch now. I'm not sure I'm ready for miracles, signs, and wonders. Well, if we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then I remind myself, remind us this morning, there are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, so often we just tie it down to as if there's three gifts of the Spirit. The anointed speaking in tongues with the following interpretation. Of prophesying, Paul said, would you all prophesy? We say, oh yeah, that's it. But there's another six. How about words of knowledge? Words of wisdom, discerning of spirits. Words of knowledge. If we carried on the reading about Nathaniel, when Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus in John chapter 1, Jesus says, oh yeah, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathaniel thinks, wow, it's amazing. How do you know that? And that was enough to cause Nathaniel to receive Jesus into his life and to become a follower. A word of knowledge. Wow, we've got friends, workmates, colleagues, neighbors. You're going through difficulties and you start praying for them and, and God gives you a word for them. Doesn't that have to be something complicated? You haven't got to go in and sort of put on a big 
tunic and leather belt and have long hair and say, thus says the Lord. No, he's, hey, I've been praying for you and God gave me this word for you. And this is amazing. Wow, we can all be used. Our neighbor's sick. Our friend or colleague place in work is sick. Terrific migraines, anything. They say, can I pray for you? You're not making a statement, oh, I'll pray for you and you'll be healed. You say, can I pray for you? God does the healing, not you. So you leave that to God and you just pray for them. And God touches them. Wow. Suddenly they begin to open up. You've heard me say that many, many times. But we need to recognize. And there's healings and miracles and faith. God gives us faith to believe what we couldn't believe in our own level of faith. We need to get into those six gifts. If we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give us the right tool for the right job. As Ryan Bunker used to say, we need to do that. Philip's method. But most importantly, Philip's message. Verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. A message isn't come to church. Our message is Christ. Let's never lose sight of what our message is. Today, people are wondering why they're not seeing much success, but they preach good works, they preach do this, do that. But our message is Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. As Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, I preach Christ, Him having been crucified. In other words, He died and He's not there anymore. He's risen. Having been crucified, he's risen from the dead. Paul says, that's my message. My message is the cross and the risen Christ. We need to preach that. That's the heart of our message to broken individuals, hurting individuals, to messed up individuals. It's the cross. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses sin. It declares us righteous before God. It sets us apart from God. So he preached Christ. He preached the kingdom of God. It says a little later in um, verse 8, no, verse 12, when they Philip, believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, in Psalm 103, if we'd read on, in verse 19, we only got as far as verse 12, but in verse 19, it says, God's kingdom rules over all. The kingdom of God is basically the rule of God. In the past, God's ruled through Israel. In the future, it'll be Jesus' rule as he comes again to reign and to rule. I believe that's soon. But right now, which this is what matters, right now is God's rule by his spirit in our hearts and in our lives. This is really good news when we're sharing the gospel because people say, well, I've become a Christian, but I'm going to manage, you know, I have to become religious. No, you don't. It's a relationship. God will come and rule in your heart by His Spirit. God will help you. God will empower you. God will show you. God will teach you. God will help you in everything. For the Holy Spirit is the helper, the counselor, the comforter. Praise the Lord. Not just our lives, but in our 
homes and our families in our place of work and we become instruments of that rule of God flowing that touches lives the kingdom of God this is really good news there's therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus who no longer walk after the flesh but who walk after the spirit there's the secret Philip preached that and oh we need to share that with people so often we can just do it in a religious way. Oh, come to church. Become an attender of church. That's well, okay, but it's not what it's about. It's coming to a relationship. It's about inviting people to Christ, inviting them to a relationship. They can know God, experience God. If there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know Him, He can't. He's on your prayer way. We're not asking you to become religious, we're asking you to enter a relationship here this morning and then finally his message he preached the name of Jesus he preached the name of Jesus and as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ the name of Jesus let's never lose sight of the power that's in the name of Jesus in Matthew 28 Jesus all authorities in heaven and earth is given to me. Go in my name. In Philippians 2, those well-known verses about how Jesus humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name. The name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord, the glory of God the Father. It's in his name. Soon we coming to Christmas. We remember how the angel appeared to Mary and said, You should call his name Jesus. For he shall save the people from their sins. It's in the name of Jesus, to salvation. There's no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. In his name there is healing. In his name people are set free. Oh, let's preach his name. Let's preach the Christ. Let's share people about relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. And let's speak powerfully the name of Jesus. Well, I trust this morning as we get into this series on Philip the Evangelist, you're beginning to get the feel of, uh, I trust something of the passion of evangelism. It begins by being overwhelmed by grace. It continues by being a good reputation, being full of faith in the Holy Spirit, sharing time with people of like passion. It goes on by being available to the Holy Spirit for signs and wonders and miracles, words of wisdom and knowledge and whatever. We reach people by sharing Christ. By sharing the good news of the gospel. And declaring Jesus' name. Amen. Any evangelists here today? We should all be evangelists. Praise the Lord. Father. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe. 
and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. For more content from Gateway and to connect with us, go to gatewaychurchcumry.co.uk. Have a great day.